the first time I heard of this story is well before I was a Christian, and I thought for sure the person that was telling me this story was making it up. I was just sure of it because it's, it's very strange. And it is the story of a guy named Balaam and his talking donkey. And so our memory verse for this is uh, Proverbs 11.2. You might have come across it if you've been here before during this series. And it says this, if I make it go. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And boy, did Balaam, he learned this lesson, so shall we. T- you know... I, when I began studying this, it was really the first time since Bible college I even looked at this story. It was one of those stories you kind of read and you're like, huh, that's weird, and then you just move on, <laughs> right? So, what, six months ago we decided to do this series and I started reading through it again. Um, I was shocked at how much I had missed by not really looking at it, how relevant the story is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird story and it's pretty funny, but don't let its oddity distract you. From, from its relevance for our lives. And we're going to get to it. It is probably one of those poignant stories for what we're dealing with in our culture today. Uh, amazing stuff. So if you have a Bible, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Numbers uh, 22, and that's going to be on page 109, if you have one of our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of our Bibles and, and let it be a gift of us, of ours to you, because uh, good stuff. And as you're turning there, um, let, me, let me give you a little bit of background as to what's happening into this, all right? We have uh, the people of Israel. We had Abraham last week. We talked about Abraham and Isaac. Okay, so Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 kids. Those 12 kids eventually went to Egypt, and then they stayed there for uh, too long, right? Longer than they wanted to. And so there for a couple hundred years. And then God brings Moses up. And Moses sends the people out, brings them to Sinai. They get the law. They're God's people. They're all excited. And they're going to go to the promised land. So they march straight up to the promised land. They get to the promised land. And they look at it and they send spies in. The spies said, nope, those people are too big. And so, or 10 of the 12. And we're going to talk about that next week. And then they, uh, they get to wander for 40 years. And God's so mad that they didn't trust him. He says, you get to wander on the desert. Until all of the people that are 20 years and above, all, you're all dead. But your kids get to go into the promised land because you missed your, your opportunity. And so the people of God wander around in, in the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years. Now, God didn't abandon them. He's still leading them. The tabernacle's still there. The presence of God is still there. He's still speaking to people. He's still feeding them manna. Their shoes are still not wearing out, which anyone who has kids understand the miracle of that. 40 years, same pair of shoes, still in style, right? 40 years. It's amazing. And so they are going through this, and this story happens in the midst of that wandering, of that 40 years. Now, what happens when you're wandering around, not in your promised land, you have to be wandering somewhere, which means that you're wandering through other people's property. Now, has anybody here ever wandered through somebody's property, maybe hiking, right? That can lead to problems, can't it? Right? Usually the owners are like, hey, what's up? It's even worse if you have, say, I don't know, two million people with you. <laughs> right? It's a big deal. And so as the people of Israel are wandering, they end up going through different places. And one of the places they end up going is through Ammonite territory. And God did send them to wipe out the Ammonites. And so that wasn't their purpose. So they were in the midst of wandering. And so what happens is the Ammonites come down and they say, hey, listen, uh, we'd prefer that you wouldn't wander through our territory. And they say, we're sorry. God is with us. You can see the big pallor of smoke and fire, right? Like we're going where that goes. 
But we would like to make a peace treaty with you. We will pay for whatever we use. We're going to pay for our travel through your land. If there's anything we damage, we'll pay for. Please, but we, we just want to be peaceful, but we have to travel through this. And the Ammonites said, no. They said, we're not going to let you go in it. And not only that, they started attacking the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel said, okay, that's that. And they wiped them out. I mean, they, they destroyed the Ammonite society completely wiped it off the face of the earth. I mean, so that was bad for the Ammonites. Well, it was also bad for the next group of people that, that the Israelites walked through. They didn't stay in the land. They didn't conquer the land. They, didn't, they conquered all these, uh, or they destroyed all the people in the fortified cities and stuff, but they didn't stay there because they were wandering. And so they keep going, and the next place they go is to Moabite territory. Now, the Moabites thought this was really bad. For starters, they were smaller than the Ammonites. In fact, just a generation before, the Ammonites pretty much cleaned their clock. See, the, the Moabites had all these fortified towns up in the mountains, and the Ammonites attacked them and then took over those, those fortified cities that the Israelites just destroyed. And so the Moabites were thinking to themselves, here's this mass of people. They're stronger than this country that's stronger than us, and now they're in our land. We are terrified. And so what do they do? Well, there was a king named Balak. And he was the king of the Moabites. And, and he's like, hmm, I can't let this happen. So uh, all of the people of, of Moab are looking to this guy. How are we going to solve this problem? And he knew that he couldn't beat the Israelites militarily. And so he tried to find another way around it. How is he going to do that? Well, what he does is he calls for this guy named Balaam. Now, Balaam is a weird character in Scripture. He's not an Israelite, but he's a person that is a soothsayer. He can read things and he can hear from God. And he was well-known and well-respected in his time, so much so that Balak, this great king, when he was desperate, went to Balaam and said, I know whoever you put a curse on is cursed. And therefore, I want to pay you lots of money to put a curse on Israel. Now, Balaam may have been able to hear from God, but he liked money. And so he hears this, he's like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. So what happens is uh, Balak sends down, the king sends down uh, a delegation of, of very uh, high officials from Moab to meet him. And they said, listen, uh, in, in Numbers 22 says, a people has come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the land, they've settled next to me. Now come put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps... I, then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out from the land. For I know that whatever you bless is blessed, and whatever you curse is cursed. And so Balaam says, great, that's awesome. And he welcomes him into his home that night. And so then he says, I'm going to talk to God, and I'll tell you his answer in the morning. Now, Balaam was hoping that up to this point, God would just say, fine, just curse the Israelites, because that's basically, it seemed like he had that ability in the past, but that's not what happened. In fact, God meets him that night, and God says, hey, who are these people you're meeting with? That's not like God doesn't know who he's meeting with. It's like God's saying, you're keeping some lousy company, right? Right there, Balaam should have been aware of this great soothsayer, this great person who reads, probably should be able to read the, the thing that like maybe God's not so much keen on these Moabites. But he's like, God continues. He says, basically says, don't go with these people and you can't curse Israel because I'm with Israel. They're blessed. So Balaam has his answer. He gets up the next morning, he goes to the delegation, he says, hey guys, I would have loved to take in your money, really would have, but 
I can't curse anything God's not going to curse. I can only really curse or bless what he blesses. And God said, no, so sorry. And he sends him home. Score one for Balaam. Which is good. Well, then the delegation gets back to Balak and he's none too happy. And so he's like, wait, wait, wait. I know how these things work. He's like, get a bigger delegation with more important officials, right? So now we're getting to like the upper level of the cabinet and he'd send more money and send it down into him and maybe that'll help him change his mind. Showing Balak really, he was playing politics, trying to buy off God. And so what happens is, is we find it uh, in uh, verse 17, it says that this is what they, um, they came to Balak and, or Balaam and they said this. It said, don't let anything keep you from coming to us because... Uh, Balaam will, Balak will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Now, come and, could have come and put a curse on these people for us. So he says, that's pretty amazing. It's like, I will give you more money and I'll do whatever you ask, right? I want to make you wealthy. Really, I'm trying to help you is kind of the idea behind this. Just come and do this. Now, did Balaam already have his answer? Yeah, he already knew from the last time that God said, I'm not going to curse these people. Don't hang out with these Moabites, right? Don't do that. But instead, I mean, he could get a lot of money, so maybe God would change his mind? So he makes his first mistake, and he says, well, this is what he says. He says, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I couldn't do anything big or small that goes beyond the command of the Lord my God. He's right there. So he says, this is where he messes up. He says, so spend the night here so I can find out what the Lord says. <laughs> that was his mistake. He already had God's answer. But he went back to God because he didn't like his answer. Have you ever done that? Well, God met with him that night. And he says to Balaam, he says, you know what? Fine. Since these guys are coming to summon you, go with them. But make sure... You only do what I tell you to. All right? If you're going to speak on my behalf, you had better speak on my behalf. And the rest of the story needs to be understood with that context. Other than that, it just makes it a silly story. So what happens is then next morning, Balaam gets on his donkey. He has his two servants and he goes along with the whole delegation. So it's not just him alone. He's got him, all the delegation of these fancy princes, right? And his two servants. And that's where we pick up the story. And so... We, we start there in, uh, in 22 and, and we see that um, in uh, verse, I lost my place because I scrolled too far. I'm so sorry. You get to be my practice uh, one. Okay. Verse 22, here we go. It says, but God was very angry when he went and the anger of the Lord, uh, and, and an angel of the Lord stood at the road to oppose him. And Balaam was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him. So there he is. He's riding along and God's not happy. You say, but God sent him. How could God be so mad? Is God fickle? No, no. God's not happy because Balaam's going for the wrong reasons and God knows it. He told him, you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. And God, who knows hearts and minds, knows that Balaam isn't going there to represent God. Balaam is going there because he's, he's thinking he's going to get rich. Right? This is good for business. And so God's not happy and he wants to make sure that Balaam gets a very important point. If you're going to speak for God, you better speak for God. So he sends his angel in front of him and, and God's going to make sure that his, uh, his message is clear. Now, uh, the donkey sees this threat, this, this angel with a sword drawn by the side of the path. And the donkey's like, I'm not going to walk through that. We'll die. 
So the donkey takes the path off to the side of the road, and Balaam is embarrassed because, of course, he is with a caravan of other people, and he gets mad at his donkey because he's making him look bad, and he's beating his donkey, and you know how donkeys are, maybe. Apparently, they're stubborn. And so he gets it back on path, and all seems well again, and he's like, ah, oh, that's frustrating. So now he's already a little upset with his, his dog. It's like if you're driving to the store and your car you know, starts to have a problem, and you're so frustrated, you're like, come on, and it works again. You're like, oh, okay. Fine, we got that out of the way. And then it starts having another problem. That's what happened next because God put that same angel, but he put it in between two vineyards. And so these vineyards have these tall walls next to them, right? And so this is the path kind of went between these two vineyards. And uh, the donkey sees an angel standing next to one of the walls. And so it goes as far as it can to the other wall to stay away from that crazy angel with the sword, right? Well, what happens is it says that um, as he goes to the other wall, that other side, it gets so close to it that he actually crushes um, Balaam's leg against the wall, right? So that's kind of funny, right? Because now that Balaam's like there hitting his donkey and his leg's getting crushed and he's like, what's going on, right? And all the other delegates, you know, are are watching this and like, we're going to trust this guy? And so he's embarrassed and all this. And, but anyway, the donkey saves his life because couldn't see the, the uh, Balm couldn't see the, the sword. And so anyway, he gets him back on the path and they keep going again. And finally, the angel moves up again a third time. And this time it says he goes into an area where it was just a narrow point in the path. And if the, the ways that the, they were kind of going up into kind of a mountainy territory type things, we understand that sometimes they've been hiking. Sometimes there are just places on the path. You can't go right, you can't go left. You just have to go straight across. Well, that's where the angel showed up, inconvenient enough for the donkey. And so he sees this. He's like, I can't go this way, I can't go this way, I can't turn, down, turn around. So the donkey just lays down, right? And Balm goes bananas, like he gets off his donkey and he says he takes his staff and he's just beating his donkey. Pow, 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 right? He just loses his temper and he's beating his donkey and that's when the story gets weird. <laughs> and in verse 28, it says, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you that would make you beat me these three times? which I think is awesome. What a great thing for the donkey, so level-headed after being beaten up. Right? Now, most of us, I would like to think, like if our car starts talking to us, we'd probably be like, wait a second, something's weird. But sometimes when we're mad, we kind of miss the obvious. And Balaam in his anger because he's got all of these other witnesses and people around him and he's embarrassed and all this. He says, you have made a fool of me. If I only had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. Right? And then the donkey replies back with such reason. He says, hey, am I not your donkey? Right? Have I ever done this to you before? And Balak says, or Balaam says, um, no. <laughs> made him sit back like, well, maybe there's a reason for this. And it was at that moment that in verse 31 it says Balaam's eyes were open and he could then see the angel, which I imagine was a pretty freaky thing. Now, don't miss the irony of this. The great seer, right, that was hired by nations couldn't see what a donkey could see. Right? The great prophet who was supposed to speak life or death over people couldn't speak with the wisdom of a donkey. 
God was making a very powerful point to Balaam. Balaam could only see what God would allow him to see. Now, Balaam wasn't powerful in and of himself. His power came from God, was bestowed by God, and God could give it or take it away to whomever he wants to, even a donkey. That's a little humbling. And I think also this, that, that anyone, God can make anyone into a prophet. If Balaam thought that he was so amazing that he deserves all of this wealth because he had this amazing ability that no one else had, God put him in his place and said, listen, I can make a donkey into a prophet. If I'm going to send you, then you better go. And so then the angel gets to speak to him. And the angel of the Lord asked him, have, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? And of course, Balaam says, because uh, I, I didn't know, but get this. He says, why have you beaten this donkey? And I think one of the most profound verses in this, it says, I have come, says the angel, to oppose you because your path is reckless before me. Well, wasn't Balaam just obeying God? I mean, God said, go with these people. Well, I think the path of recklessness speaks to Balaam's motivation. Why was he going to Moab? Was he really going there to be God's prophet or was he going there for own, his own monetary gain? See, I think that when we follow a path of, of self-promotion with indifference to God's plans, that's a reckless path. And it can lead to destruction and we find out later in the epilogue how that worked out for Balaam. It was reckless. And God lovingly set one in path that would speak truth. And said, you know what, you're seeking your own self-promotion and you're not seeking what God wants? Watch out. You're in dangerous territory. But then the angel then shock, talks about how very reckless it was and, and really says, this donkey that you were beating actually saved your life. And he says, you know what, I, I love this. The angel said, I would actually have spared the donkey's life but taken yours. Showing that God is not, you know, he's not just an unjust killer. He was, he was very exact. And so this donkey that he was cursing, he really needed to be grateful for because of what Balaam missed, the donkey saw. And what a picture that Balaam was supposed to take with him to go to these blind kings that he was supposed to, to be on their side. To say, listen, if, if, if Balak had the faith of a donkey, he would have gone to the kings of Moab and said, there is a God there that it will be able to destroy you and I'm not going to help take you there. No matter how bad they beat him. No matter what they tried to do to, to persuade his mind, he, if he had the, the intelligence of a donkey, he would have said, you know what? There is a God there. There are a people of God with their swords drawn and going against them is death. Your path is reckless. I think at least Balaam had the first half of that. He knew that if he was going to go and be a prophet of God, that God gave him the ability to speak, then he'd better speak what God wanted. He at least gained that portion of it, of that wisdom. And so he says, I think what most of us do and we are confronted by our own ignorance or when pride leads to disgrace in our own life, we have that moment of uh-oh. We have that moment of contrition in our heart where we're like, okay, I'm willing to change. And he has that and he said, hey, if I've sinned, um, I didn't realize that you were against this, I'll go back. But that's not why God sent the angel was to send uh, Balaam back. He sent the angels so that it would change Balaam's heart. And so the angel says, no, I want you to go to these guys. In verse 20 or 35, it says, but speak only what I tell you. It's the second time he tells him that. 
He's not kidding around. So it says Balaam went with Balak's officers. And I think that it's amazing to see that in, in even this story was then again retold or, or referenced to by uh, Peter in his book of Second Peter. And he's talking about at that time in his application in the church, he's talking about these wicked leaders in the church who have really gone after and sold out the faith for, for their love of money or of, of, uh, of popularity. And he says this, they have gone off on, um, the straight way and wandered off to follow the, the way of Balaam, son of Bezor, who loved the wages of wickedness. And it's a warning. It's like this way of living, that reckless way, people still take it today. But it says, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. See, at that one moment in time, God speaking in Balaam's life through that donkey, that humility that came at that moment restrained his, his insanity. He was really thinking he was going to curse God's people against God's will. And he realized that he didn't have the right nor the power to do that. And so he goes up to, to visit uh, Balak. And uh, verse, uh, 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 tw- uh, actually chapters 23 through 25 actually kind of talk about how that happens. Um, he, he arrives up into to Moab. And as soon as Balak, the king, finds out that Balaam, the prophet, is, is like on the, like the edge of the territory, he hightails it down there. And he doesn't say, hey, I'm so glad you came. He says, what took you so long? I mean, he is just antsy to get rid of this, this problem on his doorstep. And uh, Balaam goes and says, hey, listen, I'm here, but trust me. I can only say what God tells me to say, right? Like, I can't even see God coming to kill me. So I can only tell you what God tells me to say, all right? You got that, right? So I will, I'm happy to work with you, but I can only tell. So he sets the thing again so everybody knows what the, that he can do that. And so Bollock says, fine, we'll do whatever you want. And so they go through this series of three different um, oracles that um, Balaam was given. Now, the first time they did, they went up to this area where you could kind of look over and see a part of the Israelite people. They were camped out, and they set up these seven altars, which is expensive and hard to do, by the way. And then they, they sacrificed seven animals on there, like bulls and stuff, expensive animals, a way of kind of buying off God, saying, God, we're, we're, paying, we're buttering you up. We're going to ask you something. And so we're going to sacrifice these things. We want to have a good response, God, so you kind of see what we've done here. And so they do that, and then um, Balak goes away. So Balaam can have his time with God. He spends the night there, comes back. God gives him an oracle. It's kind of funny because when he comes up the next morning and Balak's like, what did, God, what, did, what did God say? He said, well, it's what he told me to say is that those people that you want me to curse, he's not going to curse those. In fact, he's going to bless them. And Balak's like, I just paid for all of this, right? You for, don't forget why I'm paying you, right? I paid you to curse them, not bless them. So let's try again. And so uh, this place clearly isn't the right place for us to ask God. So let's go somewhere else. And so they go to a higher place, a more special place. Why they wouldn't just start with the most special, I don't know. But we'll go to a nicer place. And we'll build seven more altars at great expense. And we will kill seven more expensive animals at great expense. And we're going to show God that we're willing to pay. Right? Because we want a favor from God. So we're going to do everything we think that God might want. So we're going to have great sacrifice, and we're going to have this great prophet, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be huge, right? The whole idea. It's going to be fantastic. 
And so what happens is they go up there and they have a second oracle. And so the king steps away for a little while so Balaam can have his time with God and God has his time with Balaam. And then, and then the next day, Balak comes back. He's like, all right, let's hear it. What does God have to say? And then what does God have to say? Balak's like, well, this is what he said. See those people that you want to curse? Yeah, God really blesses them, like more than last time. <laughs> and, and not only that, but he's going to curse anyone who comes against them. And the king's like, no! He's like, I paid you to curse them. But if you're not going to curse them, at least don't bless them. Like, come on. He's like, I'm going to give you one more chance. Because it's been going so good so far. So what do they do? They go up to a higher place, a the more holy place, a nicer place. Seven more beautiful altars. Seven more expensive, lavish sacrifices. But this time the king doesn't leave because he wants to see what's happening. And he stays there, which shows that he had no reverence for God whatsoever. And God meets with Balaam on that mountain. And, and God, and it's interesting, you can even read here how kind of strange it was. And Balaam's eyes are open and he's in the trans type thing and he starts speaking and he starts speaking a powerful blessing. In fact, he starts telling the future about what's going to happen, but he really starts speaking and says, these people are blessed. And anyone who comes against them is worse. It's cursed. And it's going to be bad for anyone who comes against them. In fact, uh, chapter, or verse 9, he even says, uh, may those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed, is what he speaks over Israel. Right? And then he, even at that thing, he says, I want to be counted amongst the Israelites. I want to be on their side in this. Like he has this moment of clarity realizing that God is with these people and they're going to prosper and it's going to be good. And, and Balak, uh, he wasn't happy. In fact, in, in uh, Numbers 24, verse 10, it says, Bal- Balak's anger burned against Balaam and he struck his hands together, not like he's happy. He wasn't like, he was like, oh, you know, like, why did you do this? Right? He was mad. And he was so frustrated. He says, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them three times. And he says, you know that God of yours? He cost you your, your money. Right? Basically, you're fired and your God cost you all of this. Now go back, right? And it's going to look really bad on, on my review of you. Right? <laughs> like this is going to hurt. See, but Balaam couldn't curse Israel. He got the message from the donkey. He understood this lesson. He can't curse who God's not going to curse and he can't bless who God's not going to bless. And up to this point, Balaam, and he even at some point recognized, I want to be on the side of Israel. All of this was working good, but then when the king said, you're fired, and you don't get the money, something must have happened in, in, in Balaam. Because he leaves, but he doesn't really leave. And we find later that actually as his way out, he talks, he pulls the king aside and he says, listen, I can't curse these people, but I have a way that we can bring curse on them. And he comes up with this plan. He says, and you can read about this in Numbers chapter 31, it's after the whole plan came into fruition, like how it happened. He says, listen, if we make these people unfaithful, their God will curse them. So this is what we're going to do is we're going to have all of your women, they're going to come down and they're going to seduce these men into worshiping and, and offering sacrifices to a different God. Let's see if God wants to bless them then. Well, the king must have been happy with this because we find out, and after Numbers 31, 32, 33, that 
Balaam is still there living in Moab. And he's living in a nice place. See, he chose wealth, he chose money over what God had said. He had the knowledge of God and faith in God, but he didn't put it to practice. And he chose earthly wealth over eternal gain. He massively underestimated God. And so in Numbers 25, you get to see that, actually it's Numbers 25, you see the outworking of, of, of uh, Balaam's plan and, uh, and how that all kind of comes into place. And you know what happened to Balaam? This great man, this great prophet who started so well I and mean, he could speak with God and see things and had power and all this. We don't read anything really much about him until later on. We find out that ultimately when the Israelites attacked Moab, guess who was there with them? Balaam, sitting fat and happy in his luxurious, his little luxurious mansion, his little place. And guess what? He was slaughtered. He died early, lost everything he owned along with his society. He didn't follow God. He decided to stay back with, with God's enemies. Now what do you get from that story? It's a weird story, isn't it? So here's some takeaways that I think that we can learn from this crazy story of Balaam and his donkey. I think the first one that we really need to hear in our culture, and this is so, so relevant, God cannot be bought nor bribed. Right? You cannot go in your life and think that I'm going to live this anti-God life, do things that I know God doesn't want me to do, but that's okay because I'm going to buy God off. I'm going to tithe more or I'll say a few more prayers Right or I will do something else, you're not going to buy God up. Not only this, you're not going to bribe God. God has his plans for your life. right? And I think sometimes we have our own plans that we want, our things so bad, that sometimes we'll try to make deals with God, won't we? God, if you will just do this, then I will do all of this. God doesn't work like that. Realize that God is not in a financial hardship. Right? He doesn't need your faithfulness. You need your faithfulness. God really doesn't need any of us. He is wealthy. He is secure. He is everything he needs. We really have nothing to bribe him with. In fact, he owns this whole universe. He owns our own lives. He holds all things in his hands. What on earth are we going to do to, to change God's mind, to, to manipulate him into our will? We all know that's ridiculous, and yet, like Balaam, how often do we try to do it? Stay here the night. I'll talk with God again. Maybe he'll change his mind because this will benefit me. Oh, we'll give God a few more wool, uh, uh, animals. We'll sacrifice those things. I'll do all these things for God to try to talk him into doing what I want to do. God will not be bought or bribed. We don't, we don't relate to God on those terms. And if we continue to try to relate to God on those terms, we just get frustrated. We become like Balak. God gave Balak, the king, his answer many times over and it just made him more and more mad, but did it change God's mind? If Balak was wise, Balak would say, God is with those people. We need to be with those people because the people of Israel would have accepted him. But he wanted his own way. We have to make sure in our own life that we're not falling into that same trap. They we're not just saying to God, I will give, I will give, I will do everything, I will serve, and I will lay myself down so much if you give me this desire of what I think is what's best in my life. Because if you do that, you'll be frustrated. 
That's not how God works. I think the next thing we get to see is that gifts and abilities come from God. That means the gifts that you do have and the gifts that you don't have. We recognize that God makes us according to his will for his plans. He has designed us as a church. He tools us exactly for the work he wants us to do. We are a body. Think about every organ in your body. It all has a purpose, doesn't it? Isn't it great that your fingers don't see? Right? Can you imagine when you blew your nose? It would be bad. I mean, it's important that all of the members of our body don't have all the gifts of every part of our body. If your hair was as sensitive as your toes, right, uh, Laura's job would be very tough. (laughs) She cuts hair for a living. Yeah. We understand that God made us, each one of us, individually unique for the purpose that he made us for. We are each called his members. We're all called the body of Christ, and it says that we're supposed to work together. And it says when the body of Christ comes together and we work together and the whole body is built up and is growing and was filled with love. That's a promise of God's word. Now, when we look and say that our abilities come from God, sometimes we look at somebody else's ability and we get jealous. I want that. Or sometimes we become prideful. I'm so grateful that I have this and not that. We understand that we need one another. It's not that we just like one another. Community is a necessity for the believer. The church was meant to work together. That's how we reach this community. That's how we grow in Christ. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We just can't survive. As much as if I just took my heart and threw it out of my body, it would die, but so would I. We are meant to work together. Our gifts and abilities come from God. The question is, are we accepting those, but also are we investing them in the work of God? Balaam had a unique gift. It was to tell people what was on God's mind. And if he did it faithfully, he had the ability to turn nations towards the Lord. But he also could use those gifts for his own gain. And that's what he did to his own destruction. So we need to recognize that you are gifted and built perfectly for what you're supposed to do by God. How are we investing it? How about this? I think this is also important for us, that knowledge isn't the same as faithfulness. Who knew God's plans better than Balaam? Nobody. Who still died because he wasn't faithful? Balaam. We can understand what God's word says. right? We can believe the promise of God. Balaam clearly believed what God was saying was true. But he didn't apply it to his life. It says in the New Testament several places, it says that if we don't apply our faith into our life, it's worthless. You might have heard those words, faith without works is worthless, right? It just means if our faith isn't working, isn't alive, doesn't change how we live, we might know all good true things, but if it doesn't change how we live, what we do is not doing us any good. God has a purpose for you in your life. Scripture has a way that we're supposed to live. God has revealed his, his will to us. We can look at it. We can study it. How many more Sundays do we, and Thursdays, do we have to come to church and hear about God's word before it impacts what we do? You have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a place in God's kingdom. But none of that's going to do you any good in your own personal life unless you live according to it. That's the message of bomb. Isn't that pretty powerful stuff? So what's the moral of the story? If we have anything that we bring from this, fireworks, 4th of July, <laughs> you can't serve two masters. That was Balaam's downfall, wasn't it? He had two masters. He had God and money. Didn't Jesus say something about that? I don't know, Matthew 26, 23? No one can serve two masters. 
If you do, you're going to love the one and hate the other. Or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Because isn't that second master for so many of us? Money or security or the things of this world. I encourage us, if we look at this story, if you get nothing else, recognize this. We all serve a master. But only one master leads us to life, and that is Christ. Are you serving him? Now, if you're here tonight and you don't know what that means, what does it mean to serve Jesus as your Lord and Master, I'd like to talk with you after the service. I can help you make that decision and, and answer your questions and, and help you make steps of faith so that you can make Jesus your Master. But I'll tell you, even as a Christian, it's easy sometimes to let other Masters try to tell us what to do. So all of us have the ability and have the necessity of reassessing where we are and making sure that, one, pride doesn't creep into my life, and I serve myself and my own needs above God. But also, I'm not serving anything else. Am I really serving Christ? Am I bowing a knee to the God who loves me? So how do we put this into practice? Well, I have some suggestions and I think some challenges for each of you. You take out your connection card. On the back side of it, there are some, some things that I'm going to challenge you to do this week as a way of applying to this year of life. Because again, if we know truth and don't apply, it doesn't do us any good. So let's get some application. First thing on there, you'll notice I'm, I will challenge you to do this week is to memorize Proverbs 11.2. Right? Recognize that this is, a, this is a, a powerful verse for us. That recognize that when we, in our life, we don't want disgrace. Does anybody want to be disgraced in life? Unless you're weird? No. <laughs> right? But with pride comes disgrace. But when humility comes, so does wisdom. Like, I think for us, what a great check it is in our life. When we're trying to talk God into our way, when we're trying to tell God what we want, when we're trying to manipulate God, what a great verse to put us back on track. To have in the arsenal of our spirit that the Holy Spirit can use to bring conviction and to straighten us out. If you haven't memorized Proverbs 11 too, I'll challenge you to do that this week. And to help you, we put a memory verse card in your bulletin. And you're welcome to take that and just use that as a way of just kind of referencing it throughout the week. How about this? Maybe you want to do is read Numbers 23 to 25. That's chapters, and there's a reason I, I, I summarize these stories. I left a whole bunch out, a lot of really cool details, and it is a really funny story too. So it's a great one for a long weekend, but read this. Read the story of faithlessness and faithfulness and what God has to say about serving a master. Read this story, and, and don't be scared away from it because it's weird. Um, maybe this week you read for yourself, or maybe this week the challenge for you would be to listen to God. See, Balaam heard God, but he didn't listen. Maybe for you, what it needs to be this week is I'm going to listen to what God says. And maybe that has to start with actually hearing what God says in your life. And that requires you to kind of ask and then to be quiet. And say, God, I need your direction on this. Give me wisdom. Help me know what I'm supposed to do. God will do it. But you don't need to talk him into your plans. What you want to do is hear from God what are his plans. And maybe that's where you begin this week. Say, God, I really want to hear from you. I want to listen to what you have for me. Or maybe this week, maybe what you're going to do is do what God asks. Maybe you have listened to what God had to say, but you just need to apply it. And I'll say there's a lot of grace, right? How many of us have applied God's will in our life perfectly? No hands? Okay, me neither. But I will tell you this, but we're supposed to continue to bend a knee and to say to God, I'm willing to do it your way. And maybe you just need an encouragement tonight to say, listen, you know, maybe you've been doing good and you fell back a little bit, maybe backslid. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit. 
Maybe you just need to do what God says. Have courage. Maybe even if it costs you something, have courage. Do what God's telling you to do. That's the challenge. You know, maybe there's something else that God's um, challenging you to do. Let me know why. I pray for you this week. I really do. Um, and I'm going to be on vacation next week, so I'll be praying for you on the road. It's going to be so fun. So you'll get prayers all the way from here to Minnesota. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And pray for me if you wouldn't mind. I'm going to see my sister, and uh, she and her husband and the kids, they don't know the Lord yet. So um, I'm just pray for opportunity to share the gospel. I'd appreciate you praying for me. But if you also, if you have another prayer request, this is what we do, support one another, let me know. Write it down. I'll pray for you. Our, our staff will pray for you. Our pastors will pray for you. Let us know what it is. If you have another decision to make, let us know that. And here in just a minute, we're going to take our offering. And as we take our offering, I invite you to drop these connection cards. Please do it, uh, along with your tithes and offerings into the offering basket. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's just say a quick word of prayer of blessing over these decisions and our, and our gifts. Heavenly Father, we love you. We, uh, we start... Uh, praying so often with that because it's just a great reminder. That's why our motivation to do what we do. Lord, this is not a a hard endeavor for us uh, that you've asked us to overcome this world. Father, you said you overcame this world. You just asked us to stand with you. And uh, Father, you didn't tell us to love you without any kind of guidance. Uh, We know that love is because you first loved us. You sent Christ in this world. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You give us everything we need. And so Father, out of love, I ask that you would help us to make and keep these commitments that, that we are looking at tonight. Lord, whether it's, it's uh, memorizing your word, whether it is, it's reading your word, whether, it, Father, it is uh, going and just to you before your throne and listening for your instruction, or, Father, if it's putting that, uh, your will into practice in our life. Lord, I pray that you would work in us, change us, and to be people more like you. Help us not follow the folly of Balaam. Let us learn from his mistakes so that we could be faithful people found to be doing your will. And Father, that you would do amazing things here in our lives and and throughout Estes. And Father, we also pray for the gifts and the tithes. Lord, you give us so much. And you've commanded that we give you back so little. But Father, it is a joy to be able to give back to you as an expression of faith and love and an investment in your kingdom. Lord, use these, bless these, these gifts. May they magnify your name. May they magnify your kingdom, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.